Well, good evening. Um, my name is Josh Stewart. I'm one of the associate pastors here, First Baptist Church. I'm excited uh, to be communicating God's word with you today. Um, thank you for everybody who came out this afternoon to celebrate um, Wendy and Cliff Morris' 20 years at First Baptist, which is a very long time. Uh, for a pastor, especially a senior pastor, to be at a church. So we are so grateful and so blessed to have Cliff and Wendy here. And thank you for everybody who came and celebrated that. Uh, let me open up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for, for life. Thank you so much for physical life. Thank you so much for spiritual life. And thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are the bread of life and that you completely satisfy us for all of eternity. And you're exactly what we need today. We need more of you. And so I pray that you would speak through me, an imperfect vessel, that your word will go out, Lord. It will go out with power and with the, through the Holy Spirit, with full conviction tonight. And that people will see, Lord, what your word, your word wants us to see, that you'll be honored and glorified in all that is said and all that is done. So prepare our hearts for what you have to say. Open up our minds and help us to take the truth of your word, apply it to our lives and then honor and glorify you and grow deeper in our relationship with you. It's in the great and awesome name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, one of the biggest challenges of uh, moving and going off to seminary is finding a job. Um, when most people go off to seminary, you go to a city that you're not familiar with. You have zero connections, zero resources, and so it can be challenging trying to find a job. It's even more challenging, and there's a little bit of extra pressure when your wife is 30 weeks pregnant with your first child when you move up to seminary, um, which is what we found ourselves in. Uh, Maggie was 30 weeks pregnant with Naomi. Um, it was July of 2011. We felt a great calling to go to seminary. We felt a great calling to go to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. So we packed up our U-Haul. We moved into our apartment, and I had no job. So, as you can imagine, I was earnestly seeking for a job as we got up there because I knew I needed some means to provide for our family. Well, one thing that Southern does every year in August before school starts is so they have something called a job fair. And what this job fair is, is opportunities for students to come to talk to different employees and to potentially get a job. Well, I was anticipating this job fair, excited about this job fair because I had not had much luck trying to find a job on my own. And I thought, surely there's going to be so many people here to hire seminary students. This is what seminary students do. They come to this job fair. They find jobs. We're going to be okay. I'm going to be employed soon. Well, I anticipate this job fair. I arrive at this job fair. And it was absolutely horrible. I don't know why they did it every year because there was barely any people there. There was barely even employers there. There was a lot of banks there. And I was excited because I thought these banks were hiring, but I found out pretty quickly the banks were not hiring. They just wanted my money, right? They wanted me to open up an account with them. And so I go to this job fair, I look around, I have a few conversations, spend about 30 minutes, and leave. And it was a complete waste of time. There was no benefit of going to this job fair. It meant nothing. Nothing good came out of it. It was not resourceful at all. Now, most of us have those situations in our lives that we look back and we think that was a complete waste of time. Maybe it was a job interview that you went to. Maybe it was a movie that you saw. It was a book that you read. It was an event that you went to that you're like, that was just a complete waste of time. My life did not benefit from that at all. Now, the good news is, is that I did end up finding a job. I did end up providing for my family, but it was just no thanks to that job fair. And we have those moments in our lives that typically they're not a very big deal. We can look back at those moments and laugh on those moments of being a waste of time. 
But in some situations, it can be very tragic. And what we're going to look at in our passage today is that Israel in the day of Malachi, they said that obeying God and serving Him was actually a complete waste of their time. The very sad reality that we're going to examine, and if we're not careful ourselves, we can find ourselves in the same situation of great sinfulness and believing that serving God or obeying Him is a waste of time. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be in the very end of chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We've been on a journey through the book of Malachi. And I don't know about you, but it feels like a journey to me. <laughs> um, it's been an awesome journey. We actually have one more sermon left, chapter 4, in the book of Malachi. And if you've been with us throughout our series, or if you've ever read the book of Malachi before, there's one big common theme throughout the book of Malachi, and that is sinfulness. Sinfulness in the day of Malachi is everywhere. The people of Israel are greatly sinning against God. Every chapter that we see, every sermon that I preach, we talk about sinfulness. And I want you to know that there's a goal behind that. There's a, a desire of mine, a passion of mine, a, my heart and my prayer as we go through these sermons, as we go through this series. And as I preach this sermon today, see, it's, it's hard to talk about sinfulness. It's hard to dive into books of the Bible that deal directly with sin. But the reality is, is all of us are sinful. And my hope and my prayer is that if you are sinning in the same way that the people of Malachi are, that, you, that sin will be exposed through these sermons, that the Holy Spirit would convict you and you would repent of those sins and place your faith deeper into who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And so my heart and my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would go among all of us, including myself. And if sinfulness is there, that it would be exposed in our lives. We wouldn't just sit there and leave it exposed, but we repent of that sin. And place that faith deeper into who Jesus is and what he's done. So please, I beg you, I plead with you, be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing today through the book of Malachi. So let's begin in verse 13. And we're going to read down to verse 18 in chapter 3. This is what it says. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between ones who serve God and the one who does not serve him. That's kind of the big idea, or the one main point behind this is the title of the sermon tonight. Why do you serve God? What is your motivations behind serving God? Because we see today there's two groups of people here. There's two distinct groups that we see. The first group is found in verses 12 through 15. These are the people you don't want to be like, right? This is like, don't be like these people. We said these people are serving God, but they're serving God selfishly. And we see there's great consequences to serving God selfishly. Don't be like the first group of people. But then we have the second group of people. They're found in verses 16 through 18. These are the people that you and I want to be like. These are the people who are serving God, but they're not serving God selfishly. They're serving God fearfully. 
And we see the great and awesome consequences of serving God fearfully. And so what we're going to do in the remainder of our time today is we're going to walk through and examine these two groups of people. And we're going to see that, that God is a great God. And He's a God that loves us and cares for us and has done so much for us. And there's great consequences when we serve God. When we serve God with a selfish heart, there's consequences. And there's also consequences when we serve God with a fearful heart. And so the first group of people that we're going to examine today, are, these are the people that serve God selfishly. And we're going to look at the consequences of serving God selfishly. Let's go back to verse 13. It says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. So God comes before them once again and says that your words have been hard against me. Your words have been harsh for me to hear. They've been a challenge for me to absorb. They're hard words. Probably in your life, someone has spoken hard words to you. And they're, they're, they're challenging to hear. They're harsh on your ears. And so God comes before them and says, you're sinning against me. Your words are hard. But once again, as we see throughout the book of Malachi, that the people challenge God. May we never be a people who challenge God when he exposes our sin. But look what they say. It's in the second half of verse 13. But you say, how have we spoken against you? How, God, could we have possibly spoken against you? What have we said that has been harsh on you or hard on your ears? And so God tells them in verse 14, this is what you've said that has been hard for me. Verse 14 says, you have said it is vain to serve God. What they were saying to God, it is vain to serve Him. It is useless to serve you, God. It is a complete waste of time for us to serve you. Just like it was a waste of my time to go to that job fair and seminary. It is a waste of their time to serve God. There's no benefit in serving Him. A complete waste of their time. It's vain. It's useless. Serving God is no, to no benefit. And then they go on to say, not only is it useless to serve God, but they say, what is the profit of keeping His charge? Or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. Not only is it pointless to serve you, God, but what profit does it bring us when we keep your charge? When we obey your commandments, what profit does that bring to us? And what profit does it bring to us when we mourn before you? And what they meant by that is back in those days when somebody would repent of their sins, they had this outward appearance that they would do. They would dress like in sackcloth and ashes and they would mourn so everybody could see that they were repenting of their sins. But the problem with this is it was an outward expression. It wasn't a reflection of their heart. They wanted other people to see that they were doing it. It was an, an act of showing everyone, look how great I am, I'm mourning of my sins. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 6 in a little different way with the Pharisees. He talks about their fasting, how they disfigure themselves, and they make people know that they're fasting. Jesus says, don't do that. Right? Wash your face when you fast. Let no one know that you're fasting. Do it in a way that is hidden to people. So these people were mourning before God, but it wasn't true repentance. And they're saying there's no profit in doing that. There's no benefit in our lives to keeping your commands. And there's no benefit in us repenting outwardly before people. No profit. It's pointless and useless. Look what they say in verse 15. They take a step further. It's vain to serve you. There's no profit in obeying you. And then in 15 they say, Now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Just like we saw earlier in chapter 3, they challenge God's justice. They say, God, the arrogant, they're the blessed ones. The ones who do evil, they prosper. 
They even put you to the test and you do nothing about it. What they were saying to God is we might as well be evil people. We might as well be turning our backs on you, be arrogant towards you. Because it seems like the ones who are arrogant, the evil ones, the sinful people, those are the ones that prosper. Those are the ones that are blessed. Not us, the ones that keep your commandments, the ones who disregard you, who don't care a thing about you. They're the blessed ones. They're the ones that put you to the test and they escape. That was crazy. I mean, how did Israel get to this point? How did they get to the point that serving God was pointless? That obeying His commands meant nothing? And that they thought evil people were more important than them and that God loved and blessed them? Because naturally, they weren't supposed to think this. God's Word talks about obeying Him and His law is something that is awesome. Look what it says in Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. The psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving our souls or restoring our souls. That God's law is perfect for us. It restores us. It revives us. Right? Obeying God's law is not a waste of time. It's something that restores us because it's perfect. And we see in Psalm 100 verse 2, when it comes to serving God, when they said it brought them no profit and that it was in vain. It says we should serve the Lord with gladness. To be something that we want to do, that we rejoice in doing. Serving God is a good thing. And so if we're supposed to serve the Lord with gladness, if God's law is supposed to be perfect to us and restores our souls, then why in the world were the people in, Is in Malachi's day, the Israelites, saying that it was no profit to them and it was in vain? Because the reality is they weren't really serving God at all. Because when you serve God sinfully, when you serve God selfishly, there's self, self, selfish consequences that come from that. See, they didn't care about a relationship with God. They didn't care about honoring God or glorifying God or exalting His name. They wanted God to give them what they wanted. And they looked at serving God and obeying His law as a bargaining tool for them. And as long as they served God and obeyed His law, He was supposed to give them what they wanted. Hey God, we've checked the box. We pray. We go to the temple, we serve you, we give sacrifices. Now we've done our part, it's your turn to give us what we want. It was a bargaining tool for them. So they view God as a, as a vending machine in heaven and serving him and obeying his law. That was just quarters that he put into a vending machine. And they're just placing the quarters in there. But the vending machine was apparently broken. God was apparently broken. And just like it would be pointless for you and I to put quarters into a broken vending machine, they said it was pointless and useless to serve God because He was not giving them what they wanted. They wanted material prosperity. They wanted crops. They wanted the famine to be over. They wanted the economic hardships not to be there anymore. And so they thought they could serve God and check all the boxes that they should get what they wanted. But because they weren't getting what they wanted and they were serving God selfishly, the consequences of that is they really truly believed that obeying God and serving them was a waste of time. It was no benefit to them. Man, what a sad reality that they were in. But unfortunately, we find ourselves there today. You and I can find ourselves in the same situation because when we serve God selfishly, the consequence of that is we believe serving God becomes a waste of time and no profit to us. Yeah, we might not walk out on the street and say these direct words. God, serving you is useless. There's no profit to me to obey your laws. But how about in our hearts when difficult and challenging things come before us? 
What about when you have a hard job situation, right? You're, you're saying, God, I've been in the same job for so many years. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can't get a promotion. I can't move up in the company. I don't know why. Come on, God. I've been serving you for so long. I've been going to church consistently, praying consistently. You really can't give me a promotion? You really want me to live paycheck to paycheck? Is that really what you think of me? How about when it comes to our health? We struggle with health. We can't get better. We seem like every corner we turn, it gets a little bit better, and then it gets a little bit worse. We're thinking, God, you don't want me to be healthy? How often have I served you? How often do I continually to come before you? Do you not love me, God? Is that why you don't want me to be healthy? Come on. What comes in our relationships? We, we long for relationships. We think, God, our relationships are good. Do you not want me to have a relationship? Do you not want me to get married? Do you not want me to have a significant other? Like, what do I have to do to prove myself to you? Do you not realize that I love you and I care for you? Yet you won't bring a spouse to me. Or my relationship with my spouse is hard. It's challenging. God, why is this challenging? I love you. Shouldn't you make this easy for me? When it comes to our children, raising children is such a joy, but it can often be extremely challenging. We think, God, aren't we supposed to have easy kids? Didn't I earn that over the years? Or why can't I even have kids? Right, the people who don't even care about having kids have kids. People who disregard them have kids. People who don't want to have kids have kids. Yet we pray consistently for kids, which you won't give them to us. I don't understand, God. What else do I have to do to prove myself to you? Or whatever situation, the challenges that are going on in your life, these are real challenges. I don't want to disregard them. I don't want to push them to the side. They're hard. They're challenging. You should bring them before God. You should pray to God about these things. You should bring them into Christian community in your Sunday school classes. Talk to other Christians. Talk to pastors. But when you find yourself getting frustrated with God and irritated with God, or even that serving God becomes a waste of time, you might be serving Him selfishly. When you aren't getting what you want and you think, man, those evil people, man, they have money. The arrogant people have good jobs. They have kids. They have good health. What's the profit in obeying you, God? What's the profit in keeping your commandments and serving you? Because when I look out in the world, I see that evil people have a better life than I do. So what benefit is it to me? It's a hard place to be, and most of us might be there now or we've been there in our lives. God, what's it mean? Why do you do this to me? But there's consequences to serving God selfishly. But if we're not supposed to serve God selfishly, how are we supposed to serve God? We have good news. We have verses 16 through 18. So we see the, the horrible consequences of serving God selfishly. He becomes a waste of time. He becomes no profit to you because you want God to give you what you want. And when you don't get what you want, you find yourself frustrated and irritated with God. What it says in verse 16. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And so the first group of people, they didn't care about God. They disregarded God. He was pointless to them. He was useless. He was a waste of time. But there's a second group of people. This is the first group of people that we see in the entire book of Malachi that honor God. It's good news in Malachi's day. There were people who loved God. And it says, and those who feared the Lord. That's an important phrase. See, to fear God in this context doesn't mean to be scared of God or to be terrified of Him. It's not like a giant monster or like a horror film. That's not what He means. 
But to fear God in this sense, it's, a, it's used a lot of times in the Old Testament. It's this idea of having reverence for God, that worship towards God, that you realize that He is holy, He is set apart, that His thoughts are not your thoughts, that His ways are not your ways, that He's exalted, and that He's high. You don't want to disobey Him because you want to honor Him and glorify Him. And when you do disobey Him, you, you repent of your sins because He's an awesome God. He's highly exalted. He is great. You fear Him. You come before Him and tremble Him because He's so righteous. I was talking to some pastors about this, and we were trying to process through what does it mean in the New Testament age, right? This Malachi was written in the Old Testament, which is before Jesus came. So what does it mean to fear God in the New Testament? How can we correlate that? Because it's used so often in the Old Testament. We concluded that we think the best way to fear God, the first way that you fear God in the New Testament, is by trusting and believing in Jesus. Because when you trust and believe in Jesus, you recognize that God is holy, that God is righteous, that he is perfect in all of his ways. And you realize that you are a horrible, wretched sinner. And the only way that you can have a relationship with this high being, how you glorify him, how you honor him, is by accepting Jesus. By trusting that he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. By dying on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. You have great love for him, reverence for him because he's holy and he's set apart. And so those who feared the Lord in Malachi's day, and this day, we can say that we fear the Lord, first of all, by trusting and believing in Jesus. That's how we fear God, when we show Him worship and reverence. But it's not only when we accept Jesus, but we live our lives knowing that He's holy, that He's righteous, that His ways are good, even when we don't understand them. That He's awesome and that He's highly exalted. And then it says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. I don't want to gloss over that. It's important for those who love God to speak with one another, to talk about our struggles that I mentioned earlier. When you're going through hard times, speak with other believers about it. Speak with other believers. Our God is working and doing great things in your lives. This can be done in Sunday school. The best way to do it, by plug for Sunday school. Get involved with Sunday school or other Christian groups, Bible studies. Speak of what the Lord has done for you. And so they come, they come together, they speak to one another. Look what it says. It says, The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him, and those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. See, the first group of people, when God heard their words, it was harsh to his ears. It was challenging to him. But these people, it says God heard what they had to say, and he wrote it down. He did a book of remembrance. Now, God is sovereign. God is holy. God is all-powerful. God doesn't have to write anything down. He remembers everything. He will always remember everything. But it's saying that what they said was worth remembering. What they said was worthy to write down. It's like when you're taking notes in class and it's worthy to write down what this professor says. It's important to write it down. And so see, they, the people who feared God, they came together. And God heard what they had to say and it was pleasing to his ears. It was so pleasing that he wrote it down. And what you speak to other believers, is that pleasing to God? Does God want to write that down in your life? When he listens to what you talk about in, on the phone or in Sunday school or when you're riding in the car or when you're at work, or this something he would want to write down because it pleases him, because he loved hearing it so much. And he said he paid attention and he heard them. He wanted to hear what they had to say. For those who feared, feared the Lord and esteemed his name, those who honored his name and exalted his name, and so there's a group of people we see, the second group of people, who serve the Lord fearfully. 
out of reverence for him because he's holy and he's exalted and they love him. And they honor and they esteem his name and they, they speak in a way that, that glorifies him, that he wants to listen and pay attention. But what are the consequences of that? What are the consequences in our lives when we fear God, when we honor his name and we esteem it, when we gather with one another? Look what it says in verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. Those four words should be the most beautiful words that you hear all night. They shall be mine. The consequences of fearing God, of honoring Him, of coming before Him through Christ, is that you become His. They're mine now. You belong to me. And that's all that we really need. See, when we serve God selfishly, we always want something from Him. Right? Give me better health. Give me a better job. Give me a spouse. Give me kids. Give me better relationships. God, give me, give me, give me. But when we serve God fearfully, we get God and more of Him. We get to experience Him in a deeper, most intimate way. We get a relationship with God. And I promise you, a relationship with God is far greater than anything that you could own. Think about your wildest desires, right? Like if you could have anything in the world and it does not pair in comparison to knowing Jesus more deeply. And so when we fear God and we come before him through Christ, we get to experience more of God. We get to experience him more deeply. We get to experience him more intimately. We get God and God is greater than anything. And so through the hard moments, through the challenging moments of our lives, and instead of saying, God, why aren't you giving me what I want? Would you say, God, you were holy, you were righteous, you were set apart. How are you trying to give me more of yourself through this situation? How are you growing me deeper in my love for you and our relationship together? But it gets even better. So God said, they shall be mine. We belong to him. We have a relationship with him. We're his now. But we're not just some toy that he throws in the corner, or some gadget that collects dust on the shelf. Look what it says. This is the Lord of hosts in the second half of verse 17. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own, his son who serves him. There's two very important things that we see here. First, in the relationship aspect, we see that not only are we gods, but we become his treasured possession. This is something that is valuable. It's used in the Old Testament, the book of Chronicles, is referring to gold and silver somebody's treasured possession. This is like your most precious thing. It's like a, like a girl's engagement ring right after she gets engaged, right? It's like the most precious thing you can think of. Like your most treasured possession. Like this is what you will, yeah, this is insane. Like we're God's treasured possession. Like out of everything that he has, he values us. Like he has stars and galaxies and planets and everything at his exposure. But he comes to you and I and says, you're the ones that are my treasure, possession. You're what I value. You're what I love. You're what I want to be with, what I want a relationship with. You and I become his treasured possession. And he says that we become like a son to him who serves his father. Because the ones who serve God in vain, right, they did it out of selfishness. But we serve God as someone who has a relationship with him, like a son serves their dad. Because we love him. Because we enjoy being him with him. Because we want to spend time with him. I've done a lot of projects with my dads over the years. Or my dad over the years. 
when I would serve him, it would be because I loved him. Because I wanted to spend time with him and have a relationship with him. It wasn't vain. It wasn't pointless, even if the project wasn't very important. Because I got to be with my dad. Because I got to grow in my relationship with him. And so when we serve God, as, as the sons serves their father, it's in a relationship because we're his treasured possession. But not only are we his treasured possession, but what's important here is we see the action that he takes. This is with the day when I make up my treasured possession, when I gather my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God's going to spare us. And we see earlier in chapter 3 that judgment is coming. And God says, I will spare them. They will not experience this, the punishment. Because he says in verse 18, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. He's reminding them once again that judgment is coming. He says this earlier in chapter 3, that there will be a day of judgment that will be here. But during the day of judgment, you will see there will be a, a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. See, you might think the arrogant are blessed. You might think that evildoers prosper. But a day is coming and you will know who the evil ones are. Like we heard all earlier and a few sermons ago, every sin will be punished. Every sin that has ever been committed will be punished. And for those who are evil, those who don't fear God or accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be punished for their sins. But the great news is, if those who do fear God, who esteem His name, who come before Him and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those are the ones that He will spare. Those are the ones who won't experience the weight of their sin that they deserve because Christ experienced it for them. And so we see that He will separate the righteous and the unrighteous, those who don't care a thing about Him, and those who honor Him and esteem His name and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There will be a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. You might think that they prosper today. You might think they have wealth and health and all those things. But one day, you will see who are truly blessed. And the ones who are blessed are the ones who know God and know Him intimately. It's not about the things that we have or our health or the relationships or whatever. It's about knowing Jesus. And so today we have two options in this room. The first option, we see that we can serve God selfishly. And when we serve God selfishly, there's great consequences to that. And the consequences is serving God becomes pointless to you. It comes in vain to you because it's not a relationship. It's a bargaining tool. God becomes a vending machine. The second option that we have is that we can fear God, that we can love Him, that we can accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and throughout every trial that comes in our lives, that we can look and say, God, how are you growing me in my relationship with you? You say that I belong to you. You say that I'm your treasured possession. You say that we have a relationship like a father and a son, but then how are you growing me in that relationship? How are these trials leading me deeper? And my love for you deeper in our relationship. But how can I honor you with my lives? Because when I serve you with a heart fearfully, I experience more of you. And there's nothing greater than having more of God in our lives. So what's the Holy Spirit doing in your life tonight? How is he moving you and directing you? Are there sins that you need to repent of? I beg you and I plead with you. Repent of those sins. And trust Jesus. Fearfully serve Him in a way that honors Him and glorifies Him.
And when the hard times come and the trials come, you might be in it now, and if you're not, they're coming. During those moments, grow deeper in your relationship with God. Don't try to get something out of Him, but try to get more of Him through it. Because that is really what you need. And I promise you, that's the only thing that can satisfy you, that can bring you joy, that can comfort you, and that can help you during those times. And so if you want to talk, I'll be down here afterwards. But as always, my door is open. My phone is on. Give me a call. Stop by my office. Talk to the other pastors. We love to walk through this. But be obedient to what God is doing. Repent. Trust. And grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Or maybe trust and believe in Him for the very first time. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Lord, sinfulness is rampant in our lives. It's rampant in our culture, God. And it's so easy. So easy to serve you in a selfish attitude. It's so easy, Lord, because you can give us everything. And so we long for more things. We long for better things. But Lord, in the very end, that is not really what we want. And that's really not going to satisfy us. What we need is more of you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, to serve you fearfully. Teach us to, to grow in our relationship with you. Help those words that you say to us, you are mine. Be the greatest thing that we hear. Help us to meditate on those words all week, to ponder it in our hearts, that we belong to God through what Christ has done, that we can have a relationship with him, that we can know him. We thank you for that, God. What a great and awesome God that you are. Be with us throughout this week, God. Mold us and shape us, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. Help us not be like the people of Malachi that push away our sin. Help us to repent of it and grow deeper in our love for you. You're amazing and we love you. So the great and awesome and powerful and saving name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.